Welcome to By the People for the Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be talking about LGBTQ rights and the Supreme Court. My name is Palana, my pronouns are she, her, and I will be your host tonight. The Supreme Court has taken up three cases raising the question whether sex-based discrimination as prohibited by the Civil Rights Act of 1964's Title VII regarding employment includes discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. We're going to be having a discussion with three guests, Henry Clementowicz, staff attorney at the ACLU of New Hampshire, Tom Cothold, one of the curators of the Seacoast LGBTQ History Project, which you can see behind us, and Chloe Lacasse, who is an LGBTQ advocate based in New Hampshire. Before we dive in any further, our lawyers want you to know that this podcast does not constitute legal advice. It is pretty easy to forget that it wasn't that long ago that there were laws prohibiting same-sex activity, or that with all the shock of the more recent uh, trans-military ban that we're only a few years past Don't Ask, Don't Tell. LGBTQ rights have come before the Supreme Court many times before to varying levels of affirmation. LGBTQ rights hit the Supreme Court for the first time in 1958 when one, the homosexual magazine, fought for their right to be published. The Supreme Court tossed out a lower court's ruling and established that material aimed at a gay audience was not inherently obscene, validating the right to publish LGBTQ media. So let's start the conversation. Our first guest tonight is Henry Clementowicz, staff attorney at the ACLU of New Hampshire. Welcome to the podcast, Henry. Thanks for having me, Plana. My pronouns are he, him, his, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and tell all the podcast listeners that this is not legal advice. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about our Supreme Court, because most people get that it's the nation's highest court, but what does that mean and what kinds of cases make it there? Yeah, so the Supreme Court of the United States is the highest court in um, our federal legal system. So they get the final say on what the U.S. Constitution means and what all federal law means. And so uh, they really get to choose whatever cases they want to take. So they get thousands and thousands of petitions every year. Uh, Last year, they only took 72 cases. So just below the U.S. Supreme Court are the courts of appeals for different circuits in different parts of the country. And sometimes you'll have one circuit court saying the law means one thing, and another circuit says it means something else. And those are the types of cases that oftentimes the Supreme Court will take. Okay. Yes. So that's a perfect segue into what do each of these three cases argue? So the first of these was Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia, which was a case that came up from the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And in that case, the Mr. Bosak was the plaintiff who had been running court-appointed special advocates, which is a program like we have here in New Hampshire that really helps children navigate the legal process and provides you know, services for them. And he was fired because he was gay. And he sued. And the 11th Circuit ruled that the sexual orientation is not covered by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So just to back up, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is the law that prohibits discrimination in employment. And it prohibits discrimination on the basis of a number of categories like race, national origin, and sex. It doesn't say anything specifically about sexual orientation or gender identity. So what these cases were all about is, do those protections, saying that you can't be fired or have adverse employment actions taken against you, quote, because of sex, do they apply to protect people who are discriminated against because of their LGBT? 
So Altitude Express Inc. versus Zarda was an ACLU case that came out of the Second Circuit. And in that case, Mr. Zarda was a skydiving instructor. And because of the nature of skydiving, you're literally strapped super close to the client. You're like just all up in there. So Mr. Zarda had developed this practice of telling clients, particularly women, that he was gay because he thought it would make them feel more comfortable to be in that kind of close proximity with the stranger. Well, for one person, it didn't, and they complained, and he got fired. And so that case went all the way up, and the Second Circuit, sitting on bank, which means all the judges of the Second Circuit, ruled that, yes, actually Title VII does apply to discrimination because of sexual orientation. And the idea is this. If you are a man who is romantically attracted to men, you will be treated one way, but you'd be treated differently if you were a woman who was romantically attracted to men. And so it's because of your sex that you're being discriminated against because they're saying only women can be romantically attracted to men. So those two cases, that's the circuit split we're talking about. 11th Circuit on one side and and the Second Circuit on the other. And then there's a third case, uh, Harris Funeral Homes versus EEOC. And what is the EEOC? That is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is a federal agency in charge of really administering Title VII. They're, they're basically the, the cops for employment discrimination. And so in this case, our, this is another ACLU case. It's the case you just heard Chase talking about. So ACLU's client is a woman named Amy Stevens, and she was fired when she came out to her uh, employers as trans. She had been hired before she transitioned and presented as a man and used male pronouns and a male name, took a vacation, wrote a letter to her colleagues and said, when I come back, I'm going to be Amy Stevens, and I'm going to ask you all to use my new pronouns. And this funeral home had a policy that said, basically, men have to wear suits and women have to wear conservative dresses and skirts. And Amy said, I'm going to comply with the dress code. I'm going to wear you know, conservative skirts and dresses. And she got fired. And so the question there is even broader. And it's about gender identity. And if the, if the opponents of this issue are right, it, it has this unimaginable sweep where basically you could be fired for not complying to a sex stereotype. So what does that mean? Well, it means your boss could say, well, you're a man, but you don't look like what I think men should look like. I can fire you for that. It's not because of sex. It's because of sex stereotypes. And so, for example, women who don't like to wear heels in the workplace, they could be at risk, too, if someone said, sorry, but real women wear heels. You know, that's the type of retrograde analysis that, that these cases are really fighting against. Uh, and before I continue on with more questions, we are going to listen to a number of celebrities reading the letter that Amy Stevens sent to all of her coworkers. Dear friends and coworkers. Dear friends and coworkers. Dear friends and coworkers, I've known many of you for some time now, and I count you all as friends. What I must tell you is very difficult for me, and it's taking all the courage I can muster. I'm writing this both to inform you of a significant change in my life. And to ask for your patience, understanding, and support, which I would treasure greatly. Which I would treasure greatly. Which I would treasure greatly. I have a gender identity disorder that I have struggled with my entire life. I've been in therapy for nearly four years now and have been diagnosed as a transsexual. I have felt imprisoned in a body that does not match my mind. That does not match my mind. That does not match my mind. And this has caused me great despair 
loneliness. With the support of my loving wife, I have decided to become the person that my mind already is. And that my mind already is. That my mind already is. At the end of my vacation on August 26th, 2013, I will return to work as my true self. Amy. Amy. Australia's Stevens. Inappropriate business attire. I realize that some of you may have trouble understanding this. In truth, I've had to live with it every day of my life, and even I do not fully understand it myself. I have tried hard all my life to please everyone around me, to do the right thing, not rock the boat. As distressing as this is sure to be for my friends and some of my family, I need to do this for myself. I need to do this for myself. I need to do this for myself and for my own peace of mind. And for my own peace of mind. And for my own peace of mind. And to end the agony in my soul. I have learned that life is an adventure and would like to believe that the best is yet to come. That the best is yet to come. That the best is yet to come. I hope we can enjoy it together. It is my wish that I can continue my work at RG and GR Harris funeral homes, doing what I've always done, which is my best. 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 So, you know, just hearing all of this, it sounds like opponents of LGBTQ equality, particularly in the case of the Harris Funeral Homes thing, would think that it'd be worth stripping Title VII of it, of all of its protections, so, just so that they couldn't be used to defend someone who is transgender. Well, we definitely know that there are those out there who want to take us back to a time before LGBT people had the rights that they have and who want to stall the forward progress that we have and who want to erase trans people from existence. Unfortunately, it's, you know, something we see time and again. Something that I also noticed uh, in looking at, you know, some of the briefs that were filed is that in the 110-page brief from the U.S. Department of Justice, it actually fails to gender Amy Stevens once. So as in, like, not saying he, not saying she, not even saying they. Is this uncommon? It's very uncommon. And there are some other really odd things that the federal government has done in this case. So... I mentioned earlier that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission brought this case, and they brought it on behalf of Amy Stevens, arguing that Title VII, in fact, does protect people who don't comply with sex stereotypes and on the basis of gender identity. But when the case got up to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Solicitor General's Office, which represents the United States in the Supreme Court, actually took the opposite position and argued no. The EEOC, our client, this agency of the federal government, got it wrong, and so did the Second Circuit. And so I know we were arguing one way, but we're going to switch and now argue this other way. And that follows after former Attorney General Jeff Sessions in 2017 reversed an Attorney General Holder memo, which had argued that in the view of the federal government, Title VII does protect these groups of people, and Attorney General Sessions said, no, no, it doesn't. And so there's a lot of things that we we can do to hold the Trump administration accountable on these issues. But it's important for people to know that this is what our Department of Justice has been up to. So 
The Civil Rights Act, is this the only occurrence of protections like this for LGBTQ workers federally, or is there something else? Yeah, so the uh, the Civil Rights Act is really the big source of broad-based protections for LGBT people. So New Hampshire legislated comprehensive gender identity non-discrimination protections last year in 2018. I would assume that those protections wouldn't be at risk because of this case? That's right, and that's that's for two reasons. So Number one, this is about the reading of a federal law, Title VII. It's not about what New Hampshire law means, which is ultimately up to our courts. Uh, But number two, thanks to the tireless work of all the advocates, everyone who wrote postcards, everyone who called the legislator, everyone who testified, when, as you said, the legislature passed House Bill 1319, they made it explicit. They said, you can't discriminate against people because of sex or sexual orientation or gender identity. And so there's there's no court that can roll that back. And would these cases that are being heard now, is it the final say on whether a person can be fired from their job just because they identify as LGBTQ? It's the final say on what Title VII means. So, you know, the court is going to rule that Title VII either does or doesn't protect gender identity and sexual orientation when they say you can't be fired because of sex. But there's nothing to stop Congress from simply rewriting the law as they did with 1319 and make it explicit. So really, you know, at the end of the day, the power all comes back to us. And somebody will be speaking about that in just a few minutes. So since this court date already passed, it was on October 8th, what, you know, how did that, how did the arguments go? Yeah, so as you know, they don't allow television in the U.S. Supreme Court. But I think uh, people are expecting that the case is going to be really close. It could be a 5-4 vote or a 6-3 vote. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who's the most recent justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, didn't ask many questions or really tip his hand that much. And Justice Gorsuch, who was President Trump's first Supreme Court appointee, seemed really torn. But I think it's appropriate because we're filming this pod in a, in a coffee shop to remind our listeners that you can only get so far trying to figure out how the justices are going to vote. Uh, by the way, they ask their questions. It's kind of like reading tea leaves to tell the future. So court is not a particularly speedy process. Some things get dragged out for years. So what does the timeline of, you know, a ruling on this case look like? Yeah, so the U.S. Supreme Court sits in a term from October to June, and cases that are argued in one term are almost always uh, decided that term. So historically, we've seen opinions start to come out in late January to early February and all the way through June. So we're not going to get any advance notice, by the way. We're just going to wake up one day and, and sometime between basically February and June, and we'll learn whether Title VII protects LGBT people or not. It's like uh, that moment where you're suspended on like a roller coaster, and you're just like at the top waiting. So we're going to have that for four or five months. Yes, exactly. That's unfortunate. Well, Henry, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Bellana. Round of applause for Henry. Welcome back, everyone. I am now here with two new guests. I have Chloe Laclasse, who is a tireless LGBTQ advocate currently working on the Equality Act. And I have Tom Coffold, who is one of the curators of the Seacoast LGBTQ History Project. So welcome. So I'm Chloe Lacasse, uh, she, her, her pronouns. So I came out in 2016. I found myself being swept up in the first, or actually the second attempt of uh, to secure non-discrimination protections here in New Hampshire. 
And as it happened, I just, I got involved with the ACLU, who I still love dearly, and also some local organizations, including Freedom New Hampshire. We, in our failure with the first go around, um, there were a lot of broken hearts, mine included. Um, but what that did is it allowed us to really hit the ground running in the successive session. So in 2018, with a bipartisan vote, both in the House and the Senate, as well as a Republican governor, we passed historically legislation here in New Hampshire, and we signed into law 1319, which was basically adding um, gender identity to um, our uh, civil rights statute here. So as awesome as that was, and I got on TV, and that was fantastic, and my family saw it, and that's awesome. So it was a huge step forward. It wasn't a a panacea per se, because we still needed to do the work and we still do the work. And, you know, time has passed, another session has come and gone. We were able to get some really great votes and some really great folks in uh, in the House of Representatives, Jerry Cannon, for example. Uh, She was a champion of several bills that furthered equal protections as basically things such as gender markers on licenses. There was an attempt to get birth records updated, as well as a non-discrimination statute for school. And that was a big one, because basically, Basically, it duplicated the success of 1319, except it placed it in the school districts. Unfortunately, 1319, the way it was and the way the school system works with our Constitution, we couldn't pass that. So we had to do a separate independent piece of legislation, which passed. And again, the governor signed it. It was bipartisan support, um, which is wonderful. It's wonderful to feel accepted, to see it, um, to be part of a larger whole, a growing whole. Can you top that, Tom? Was I talking fast? I think I feel like I was. Fast. But my name is Tom Coffold, and I'm the founder of the Seacoast LGBTQ History Project. And so I'll share my story a little bit. I got involved in 1993. Portsmouth, New Hampshire, was trying to p- pass an equal rights ordinance, and the things that I learned is just amazing. So a couple things. One was we really wanted to make the city of Portsmouth safe for everybody and make Portsmouth a place where people couldn't be discriminated against. Well, lo and behold, we couldn't really do that. This, this, there was no state statutes that enabled us to do that. So the ordinance kind of came down to, well, whatever the city hires, whoever the city hires, they can't discriminate. So really, what started out as something we really wanted to do that would cover everybody, because of the way the laws are written and what cities are unable to do, we couldn't pass something like that. So our ordinance had to be very specific. So when you hear things happening at the state level, like Chloe just explained, sometimes you ha- they have to go back and be revisited because it was so specific to one thing. Oh, it didn't cover the schools. All right, we gotta go back and do that. You learn a lot about the political process and what cities, towns, states, and federal governments are able to do. So. I encourage you to get involved. I can tell some stories about some people. I would love some stories about people. (laughs) People's stories are the best. People's stories are the best. So uh, when we started this project, people were like, you have to tell some of the UNH story. And I was like, I don't want to tell the UNH story because, you know, yeah, they're part of the Seacoast, but we don't want to tell their story. They've got their own story to tell. But lo and behold, their story really impacted the Seacoast in quite a way. And very briefly, they started the gay student organization in the early 70s. And the, the governor at the time found out about it and said, I don't want any state funding to go to this gay student organization. And that group went all the way to the New Hampshire Supreme Court. 
And the Supreme Court in New Hampshire said, oh, you've got to fund this group. They went through all the proper channels. They're a student organization. You've got to let this happen. And that was in 1973. And from that court case made national news so suddenly other colleges were saying well why don't we start a gay student organization so here was three or four people at UNH saying I want to form a group go through the proper channels and it changed college campuses across the country in the 70s so and out of that group <laughs> came uh, the Seacoast Area Gay Association which was really Seacoast including Maine they met in Portsmouth, they met in New York. They only survived a few years. Um, but out of that group, some of the founders of that group who were involved in the GSO founded Seacoast Gay Men, which is still going on today. That was founded in 1979. And it's still going on today. They just moved to Kittery. They just celebrated the 40th anniversary this year. So, you know, three or four college kids in, in the 70s saying, we want to get together and have a group. The, the, the impact of that, those three or four people. And, and it, sometimes it takes the courts to do that. And that's the, the way the systems work, you know, unfortunately. But. If I can ask you a follow-up question on that, on the, uh, on the Portsmouth Ordinance. Was that a first, you know, like you like tried to make it happen and it worked on the first shot? No, no. no. So great, great question because of the great learning exercise. So... The way that city ordinances work, we brought the ordinance to some of the council and they said, okay, we'll present it to the rest of the council. And it was shot down. We, it didn't pass. And then some people said, this should be something that should be voted on. So it was put on the ballot. And we didn't want it on the ballot, the group of people that were trying to get it. We're like, you don't vote on you know, people's rights. you know. So it failed there too, but we, we really didn't want it to go to the ballot, but it did. And it, it didn't pass, but it really, it, it energized a bunch of people. It got people going in other directions. And it really just takes a few people to really get something going. And yeah. that was true of, of the student club in the 70s, of the ordinance, of the whole non-discrimination campaign here. And in many ways, I see what we did here, especially in a state like New Hampshire that doesn't really particularly swing one, one way or the other as far as party affiliation. Um, I see that, you know, like all these states, the 20 states that have managed to past transgender non-discrimination protections, and I'm, I'm not sure of the number that have done it for sexual orientation, probably a few more. But um, Chloe, you've been working on the Equality Act a little bit. Yeah, so I've been lucky to have been doing some work with Freedom for All Americans, which is a national LGBTQ nonprofit. Originally, when they were formed, it was in support of the Marriage Equality Act. And then when they won that, it's like, you know, like winning the Super Bowl, what do, what do we do now? Well, and then they rebranded themselves, and now they do work across the board for all LGBTQ Americans. So right now, obviously, they have tons of actions going on with state groups. Here in New Hampshire, it kind of buttoned up, so it's kind of been hands off where like the kid who has the driver's license it's like okay they're doing well go forth and create although it is really important to note just if you're listening if you're in the room and you're like we've done this in new hampshire and it's great 
I think it's really important to be thinking about we should have the freedom to move around and be employed other places right, and get right. fair housing other places and public accommodations. So it's, I know some people are thinking, you know, like, what is the relevance? It's kind of macrocosm, microcosm, yeah. right? So in states that don't have protections and where the Supreme Court cases with regards to employment specifically are so crucial is that um, right now under Title VII, people in states, uh, LGBTQ people in states that don't have protections as a whole, they're at least protected in the in the workforce. And if these cases swing a certain way, that will go away. What happens, you know, we don't know. To it, the Equality Act, which is basically, like I said a moment ago, it is the equivalent of the 1319 we had here. It is comprehensive. It include it it seeks to add gender identity and uh, sexuality to the uh, civil rights statute. So the Equality Act was introduced about five years ago to a Congress that was not very receptive. Washington, as we know, is, for lack of a better word, in not very good shape. So in the last election, in the midterms, we were able to flip the House. As a result, Nancy Pelosi regained her seat. She brought to the floor that bill, and it passed. It passed with bipartisan support. So here we are um, on a federal level with, you know, at least one House of Congress, um, you know, standing up and saying, we support you. You know, you are important to us. You are our family. You are our friends. And, you know, this legislation is to ensure that you will not be discriminated against. Fortunately, we have a Senate, which is similar in, 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 in um, constipation, as it were, um, <laughs> to, to use a word. What will happen with the Equality Act right now, which is sitting on the sidelines, our organization, along with you know a, a whole slew of other organizations around the country, are working in key states to help raise awareness in, in states like Texas, Michigan, Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, states where we have senators, whether they're Republican or Democrat, who are movable, if you will. So we're, we're working in those states to raise awareness, to get folks to stand up, like we did here with faith leaders, conservative, unlikely conservative allies, business leaders, and to st stand up and say, hey, I'm a business leader, and I couldn't do my business if I didn't support LGBTQ people, either as, as customers or as an employee base. So it's a really crucial, crucial piece of legislation. With the, with the current temperament in Washington, it's really kid gloves kind of thing, but I do think that moving forward, we have we will get the votes and we will indeed pass the Equality Act. By the People for the Podcast is a podcast produced by the ACLU of New Hampshire. The ACLU of New Hampshire is a nonpartisan organization dedicated to protecting and defending civil liberties and civil rights in the Granite State and our lawyers want you to know that this podcast was produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Good night, everybody. There are certain times and places where you do something and it doesn't work, and maybe five years later you do it again and it works. And it's, there's a lot to do with coming out. Uh, like Chloe said, there's a lot to do with education. I mean, we felt in 93 we were just trying to teach people that gay people are normal. We've been here forever. We're, you know, we're the Michelangelos, we're the, you know, we're these people have been here forever, you know. Um, so it's just, it's changing what we have to educate people on. And it's great that we are continuing to move forward.